0: Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko.
1: That's right. Get getting ready for game three. Let's do this.
0: And my good friend, Mike Minkoff. I'm ready
2: for a slap fight like Draymond Green and Jalen Brown. Let's go.
1: So
0: one big win. We're, maybe we'll sweep them. One big loss. Fire and brimstone. The world is ending. Where are you guys at with, after two games?
1: Um, (laughs) Like exactly halfway in the middle.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I think we all said something like Warriors in seven uh, before the series started. Um, Frankly, if anything, I'm I'm a little bit I mean, I'm pretty pleased with the the Seas going out and winning game one. Um, game two was really frustrating to watch, but overall, you know, got to be happy with the, the start of the series for the Celtics.
1: Yeah. yeah we, you make it to the finals and you've got your, are one and one after the first two games, you know, you took one from them on their home court. And exactly. I think you're happy with that.
0: We took care of business. I think Keith Smith had this stat in 75 years of NBA finals. Only two teams have won the first two games on the road. So if we had won that game, it would have been historic uh so I'm happy I'm happy and I think Celtics fans should be happy too uh despite what that game looked like at the end there uh so what did you guys see in uh, after the first two games what are the things that are popping up for you
1: well it seems like we kind of punked them a little bit in game one we came out the tougher team and game two was the opposite they were obviously the tougher team with Draymond and all his physicality and his extracurricular activities and antics um And that was one major theme. I think the other major theme is, you know, Horford and Derek White had phenomenal games, game one. And our supporting cast didn't really show up in the same way if you look at those two guys and Robert Williams. And, um, you know, they they all came back to earth. And so our supporting cast wasn't the same. And if on the flip side, the Warriors supporting cast really came out in game two in in ways that they didn't in game one. And um, so I think, like, how the bench plays and how the role players play, for both of these teams is important as well as like, who's the more physical team.
2: But let me know if you guys have heard this one before when the Celtics make the easy, relatively easier, simple play, keep the ball moving, keep driving, getting the defense in rotation and getting the ball to the open guys, including those role players. They do well. And when they try to force the issue, drive into too much traffic, overdrive, turn the ball over a lot they do poorly (laughs) because that's pretty much the story of the first two games in game one Tatum had 13 assists and two turnovers in game two I'm not even sure how many turnovers he had I think it was like six or seven um maybe not quite that high but he consistently kind of tried to do too much he was not making the easy pass which led to a lot of kind of um open three pointers for teammates in the first game because, you know, they'd have like Derek White standing above the break, uh and Tatum would just throw it to him. A guy like Draymond would be cheating off of him and he'd get a pretty much an uncontested three. Um in game two there were a number of drives where Tatum felt like he had an advantage, um, he would go into kind of the, the help defense and uh ended up kind of Getting the ball stripped, or throwing it into traffic, uh, or having his pass deflected, etc. So, I just I, I agree that we need better performances from the role players, but I think that hinges on our our primary ball handlers making the easier decisions and and making it easier for everyone else to to thrive.
0: Well, great points about both of you, and Mike, you, you're talking about Tatum. Four uh assists in game. I'm sorry, four turnovers in game two. Um only two in game it one. It just it
2: felt like seven.
0: <laughs> I know. And part of it was because he only had um three assists instead of thirteen. And I think Brad Winters had the stat that in games where Jason Tatum this year had seven or more assists, the Celtics are seventeen and two, and they've won the last fourteen games. And and it's interesting that it's it's only 19 games because it was really the halfway point that he started learning to really pass the ball around. Seven assists was a tremendous amount for him prior to the halfway point of this year. And then it didn't, I mean, 13 assists, like, is that is that not a career high for him? I mean, I guess it, we must know if it was, but it's gotta be right up there. And it didn't, like in game one, when he got 13 assists, it was not a huge shock to me. I took it in stride and that would have been phenomenal like it would have broke my brain if it had happened in, in December um, so I think Tatum passing the ball is really important making the right pass as you said Mike and and I love this this question came up on the winning plays podcast with Brian Robb did Tatum have a better game in game one when he was uh, three of 17 from the floor but had 13 assists only 12 points or in game two where he was eight of 19 28 points but a negative 36 led the team in plus-minus negative. Uh, obviously, that had a lot more to do with with the Warriors and when he was in the game. But when he's making passes like that, I mean, to get 13 assists, he's got to make the right play. But the supporting cast also has to hit the shots. And so it was a combination of both of those things. And my guess is that that plays a role in in that 17-2 and two when he has more than seven assists or seven or more, that the supporting cast has to hit their shots. So our offense is one of the best in the league when – Both Tatum and Brown are setting up other players, and they're hitting their shots.
1: Yeah, I think the—I mean, I would vote for the first game. I love the twelve point thirteen assists stat line for Tatum. Like that shows you if your shot's not falling, you're doing other things, you know, to help the team win. I think that in game two, it's—it's if you're not like having a big scoring night, just being efficient is not enough if you're not getting if you're not helping out in, in other ways with rebounds and assists and things defense and things like that. Like if you're not putting up other stats, you really need to have a 40 point game. If you're Jason Tatum, like, you know, just think back to last year in the playoffs, he was, he had two 50 point games, right? One of them was in the, um, the play-in game. So I'm kind of still waiting for that Jason Tatum to show up and I'm glad he did other things in game one when his shot wasn't falling but I'm I'm waiting for his shot to really click and for, for him to, to be that scorer we know and are kind of like waiting for him to be.
0: And Mike, you talked about turnovers, 18 in game two. I said that coming into the series, we had to take care of the ball. That was key. Both of these teams turned the ball over a ton. Like Golden State had 17 turnovers in game two also, but the Celtics can't afford to do it because we don't have Steph Curry raining threes and Jordan Poole <laughs> hitting them at the buzzer uh, at the end of quarters uh, from half court. So um, we we need to take care of the ball in order to win because Draymond Green was right. This team is not going to shoot 50% plus from both the floor and three like they did in game one. But we can still win games shooting the way we, I mean, shooting the way we did from three in game two. I don't know about 30-ish percent from from field goal range. I think we were like 20-something percent through three quarters in game two from two and only had like three shots at the rim in game two.
2: Yeah. I, I forget who tweeted it. Um, but, uh, there's a stat out there. The Celtics were six for 31 on self created, I think two pointers in, in game two. Um, very, very, very atrocious, (laughs) but, um, but I don't know. I mean, Right. We, I I don't think we can't turn the ball over because of a three point disadvantage. Like, I think we have enough shooting. I just think against any opponent we've proven that we're terrible um, when we turn the ball over and and the principal reason is because we, it doesn't give us a chance to get our defense set and our defense is truly elite. So um, we let teams get out and fast break and then they're able to set their defense and uh, in the playoffs you know, whether it's this series, whether it's the Heat, uh, we're playing elite defenses, uh, the Bucks, obviously not the Nets. So um, I think that's why there's been a lot of volatility in our games in general, because the difference because our offense feeds off of our defense. And if, our, if we're not letting our defense get set, then we're we're forced to watch the other team's defense get set and our offense uh kind of try to grind it out with its inefficiencies against highly efficient or er, uh defenses so
0: um and that offense mike when it's elite, i feel like we're fast breaking and we're getting layups this last game we were fast breaking but but settling for threes
1: Huh, mike i think you made a good point before about it being about like a tale of two teams like our our Celtics season is a perfect example of that with the first half of the year being completely different than the second and even in the playoffs throughout each round some games we've seen the second half Celtics show up and other games we've seen the first half Celtics show up and lay an egg and uh, I feel like the same could be said about the Warriors too like it's a tale of two Warriors teams right there's the team where Clay Thompson's hitting tons of threes and it's just a barrage of offense and then it's other games, it's the you know a team that's maybe not the most physical, not the most aggressive, and when their shot's not falling, their defense isn't really you know playing well either. And so um, like if you're a fan of each of these teams, you're hoping the right team the right version of your team shows up, and sometimes it's not as much about the Warriors versus the Celtics, but which version of each team shows up, right?
2: Yeah, and there's also a version of something else uh, that might show up. <laughs>
1: Uh-oh, here we go, transition time. Here we
2: go, and and that's the referees. And we got two very different versions of referees in Games 1 and Games 2. Um, wait a second,
1: wait a
0: second. I, I know, I've been I told know, I know, repeatedly that I'm not allowed to talk about the referees on this podcast. It's true, it's true. By you.
2: It's true. That's because you are bringing them up in like the middle of January after we play Detroit, (laughs) (laughs) I'm bringing the up in game two of the NBA finals when Zach Zarba and Tony brothers and crew allowed literally Draymond green to not only allowed Draymond green to tackle Grant Williams, but then had the audacity to call a foul on Grant Williams for that tackle. It was that, that, that single call was, I, I feel like this is the type of thing that gets said a lot with recency b- bias. That was actually the worst call I've ever seen in my life.
0: No, That was, no, the worst a, call, that was an nope.
2: impossible foul. Like
0: The worst call was the one where Jordan Poole went up for a layup and Jalen Brown was close it, to him, it, it but was never Gary actually Payton. touched him. It was Garin, oh, Gary, Gary Payton. Payton
2: the second. No, because it, in that one, at least Jalen's legs incidentally hit Gary Payton second's foot. And that actually is why he kind of like his his body shifted in midair. I d-
0: I didn't see that on the replay. So
2: there was actually some. It was I I think it easily could have been called a no foul, but
0: I can't believe we're talking Draymond about Draymond Green. Mike.
2: Draymond Green literally lowered his shoulder into Grant Williams' chest, knocked them both over, and Grant Williams had a foul called on him. That was one of like twelve outrageous non-calls or calls that went against the Celtics, almost all of them triggered by Draymond Green. It was a masterclass in absurdity by the referees.
1: Okay, Mike. And that's not the reason the out... Celtics
2: lost the game, but it was... I, I just thought, and, and I and I think that it's not surprising that the, the refs were going to skew a little bit towards Golden State in this yeah. one. I just thought you know, be a little more artful, be a little more subtle. Like (laughs) don't be so obvious about it. Like it was, it was a little embarrassing even for what's something we all expected to happen. The obviousness of it all was embarrassing.
1: Okay. So Mike, if you're going to bring up the refs (laughs) in this way, I got to ask, is the NBA rigged? Is the whole thing orchestrated? And do you have letters already written to your congressman and senator about it? Uh,
2: I do not believe it is rigged. Uh, I do believe this was there was a lot of uh, (laughs) absurdist officiating going on in this game. That all of that said, I think most of the controversial calls happened in the first half and the Celtics were down two. Like. They stayed in the game. They've they've dealt with bad calls. I think the Celtics, frankly, were coached specifically to expect this with this officiating crew, because the Celtics complained less than I think I've ever seen them complain, um, uh, including after some like uh, some of these. are kidding. Obscene calls. They barely complained this game.
0: I felt like they complained the whole game.
2: Oh, I may even
0: got a tech. I think, I think he got it a tech and he
2: did it intentionally, but I thought the players were the least demonstrative I've ever seen. And like Grant Williams barely said anything after that foul. I had just mentioned where green bowled him over smart, got like pulled on multiple screens by green and he, he wasn't like getting in the rest face. I thought they were com- considering how bad I thought some of these calls were. I thought the Celtics were remarkably non-demonstrative. So I think, I think they fully expected this. I thought they were well coached going into it to not react. I thought they obviously felt like they were being officiated poorly, and and Ime made a point to demonstrate that. Um, but I think I you're think...
0: desensitized to players complaining because the Celtics do it so much.
2: I don't. I don't know. I, re- I really didn't think. I really didn't think they complained compared to like they didn't stop. They were. I don't know. I thought they were pretty focused. Maybe I. Maybe I was watching a different game than you, but that's what I saw. <laughs>
0: I'll have to, uh, I'll have
2: I, to re, re-watch and see if I was uh, being too friendly. My glasses were can, too green.
0: Can we get off the
1: refs? Absolutely. Well, so wait, wait, Adam. I need to know. Do you think that this is that they're that the refs are at least given orders by the NBA to extend series to make it more competitive, to uh, affect the game in those kinds of ways, so that games get closer or? Uh, the other team wins if the first team won the previous game to extend series, not necessarily it's to make one team a champion.
0: It's seven G, Josh. Seven game series. That's what they're going for. It's like five G. You know how the uh, COVID yeah. is connected to uh, yeah. Same same deal. Why why are you asking? Why are you going right to conspiracy theory? I, I just <laughs> think the I think the refs like I think they have a tough. It's a job. theme. Tin, tin foil hat, Josh. Drive me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> The, the refs drive me nuts every game. I'm just like, try and call it fair. It's just, it's crazy how different they call it in the playoffs. But you know in, what? In the they didn't. Call, they didn't
2: drive anybody crazy in game one. Nobody I complained about I, the refs in game I agree. one.
0: Yeah, I, it's like, I mean, Draymond is a pest. Marcus Smart is a pest. Like, keep them in check. It goes both ways. Decide how you're going to call the game, and then call it the same each time. And and the NBA should have should should have mechanisms in place to ensure whether it's training or reviews to ensure that the refs are calling it the same each each game and then all the refs do it equally as much as possible. And I just, but, I think they can improve on that.
2: But all of this said, going back to your original question, Adam, I didn't really, and like you said, Adam, like two teams out of 75 have won the first two games of the finals on the road. Like I did not expect the Celtics to win game two. Um, I think, I think it was uh, Andrew Doxey, uh, tweeted out
0: uh,
2: good to get the uh the tony brothers uh zach zarba game out out of the way early in the series right like
0: yeah especially that, after that game win.
2: was going to be annoying we got it we got it done after a win um we're going back home with the series split like all considered this is this is pretty good uh and we've got some adjustments that we need to make going into game three
0: so wait should we not expect to get those refs again
2: I don't actually have any idea how the ref rotations work, but let's hope okay. not.
0: <laughs> so let, let's, I want to get to adjustments, but I'm curious about, about a couple of things first. So Marcus Smart, what do you, how do you guys feel like he's playing this series?
2: I think he's been fine. Yeah. I thought he, he was pretty solid in game one. I I don't think, I think he had some boneheaded turnovers in game two. Um, his defense Absolutely. has been pretty, pretty solid all around. Uh, you know, I also don't think he's being given as many opportunities to, to thrive. I think Tatum and Brown are initiating way more offense than him, um, which we know is not, I mean, he's a point guard, (laughs) like he should initiate some offense and we're generally better served when he does. Uh, We've been, but he, he did make some dumb turnovers when he had, when he had a couple of chances in, in game two.
0: Yeah. Game two was rough. Game two was rough for him, I, and he's definitely. I mean, look, he. I love the guy, uh, but he definitely struggled in game two, and and he wasn't really popping in game one. And I'm starting to think, I'm starting to wonder how bad this ankle injury is, and that this yeah. series is showing that more than the last one did. Uh, he could he could bump and 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 um, push people around in the last series, hit hit open threes, set other guys up. But it wasn't as fast moving. He wasn't chasing people around as much as he, he has to in this series. Um, so I think it's, it's making the, his lack of movement stand out more. But the last game, it was like just poor decision-making. And that's what surprised me the most.
1: Well, he had two points last game. He had 18 the game before, 24 the game before that, 14, 5, 16, 24. So this is like one, two bad games in the last six. Um, and it's, you know, I think this is a re, a, an easy reaction after a game where he scores two points. Um, the games that we've been winning, it's, we need Brown, Tatum, and Smart to kind of step up scoring the ball. And I think Smart's done a pretty good job of that over the last six games. This is just one where he didn't. Um, if so if he has two duds in a row, I think that there's cause for concern. I'm not going to be concerned yet. I also agree, though, that he, he's not 100%. You know, the ankle's obviously bothering him, or, or multiple injuries are bothering him. Um, and we'll see if a little bit of rest between these games is going to help these guys who are banged up, him included.
0: The third quarter has been the quarter for the Golden State Warriors all year and all series. They have dramatically outscored the Celtics in the third quarter, both games. Mike, how do you, what adjustments should the Celtics be making to try and change that?
2: Um, the two biggest adjustments that I would like the Celtics to deploy, uh, would be one play way more one big lineups than they have been. Uh, they stuck largely with the two big lineup. They rotated Tice in, they had, there was a lot of Grant Williams, uh, some Daniel Tice. Um, I honestly don't think it's much, I mean, we talked as if before the series, as if it both Grant Williams and Tice, uh, might have a role in this series, but after watching the first couple of games, I, I think maybe Grant Williams gets maybe 10 minutes, uh, Tice gets none. Um, I think this is a, a, a Derek White and Peyton Pritchard series, uh, beyond yes. our, beyond our kind of, you know, JT, JB, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, Rob Williams, so I would like us to really organize around that. Um, they, they are oh, um, they're they oh, fast, they are shifty. We need to kind of spread them out, get a lot of basically put everyone on the floor, except for our, our five man that can put the ball on the floor and drive and kick. And even Horford can do that a little bit, but not in a real way. Um, and that can shoot threes, at least credibly if not um, exceptionally. So that that's one, and the other is kind of related to it. Yeah. Let
1: me let me let me say too. I think that's especially important with Rob Williams being as banged up and not playing, not being as effective. I think less minutes for him and and just playing the five role as as you know opposite Horford when Horford comes out. Mm -hmm. I think is is ideal. But can we define that? Like, are you are you including Grant Williams in a two big lineup? Because to me, he's someone who can switch defensively. Like in game one, our bigs were going, we're were in the drop and our guards were chasing on any screens involving Horford, uh, Rob Williams, and Tice. But that wasn't the case with Grant Williams. He was switching guard to guard.
2: Where I get worried with Grant specifically is that they put him in actions that end up leading to him trailing Curry behind screens. And he can't do right. that. That's the one, I mean, which is very few people can do that. But you know who can? Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and even Peyton Pritchard. So those are the guys that I would predominantly want out there. So maybe if you stat, if you get Grant Williams on the floor when Curry's not there, but then Poole's out there and he does pretty much the same stuff. Um, so that's my worry with Grant is, you know, I, I don't, it's not a knock on him to say, you know, he's a power forward that can't chase the greatest shooter of all time. And one of the best conditioned athletes in the NBA history Uh, can't chase him around threes or around screens. Like it's just a reality of some of the limitations of kind of his build. Um, So that I, I I feel like he gets a little bit picked on in those, those assignments and the Warriors don't put um, the defense in that many traditional switch situations. Um, though they have been running a fair bit of pick and roll with Curry, which has also been destroying us. So I don't know. Uh, so I would still play grant like 10 or 15 minutes, but I, I would, I would reduce his time. I don't, I think his time is less important in this series than guys like Pritchard. Um, and certainly Derek white, who I think has been our best player through the first two games.
0: Would you guys start grant? I mean, start Rob. No,
2: I don't think so.
1: no, yeah, I would start I would start Horford.
2: Horford and, and add White to the starting lineup.
1: Yes. And then you end and then you end with Horford too. Horford's in your closing lineup with Derek White. Yeah.
2: Well. Unless it, if you know, unless for some reason, you know, if Rob looks like he's got extra pep in his step that game, which he's he's had a couple of games. Like even game one, he looked a little fresher. Um and and he does add some important thing. I mean, his health is so significant and it doesn't his lack of health doesn't get talked about enough as as affecting the celtics but the the other adjustment i'd make and it's related to this lineup configuration would be making sure marcus smart and Derek white are initiating the offense far more than they have been um i feel like all of our best position possessions last game um in game two were when Derek white had the ball (laughs) and was doing something. He was either finishing himself or he was getting into the defense and just starting the kind of drive and kick and rotation. Like he, he's been playing really, really well.
0: Mike, uh, when the fourth quarter started and the Celtics had on the floor, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, Grant Williams, Daniel Tice, and I can't remember who else. And, smart was on the bench tatum was on the bench brown was on the bench what did you think
2: that wasn't the start of the fourth quarter that was like about a minute or listen. so in no All they right. they started the fourth quarter with their guys and then the lead got to 29 or something and then eme subbed everyone out and i was quite happy still with that. a quick hook i was to- yeah. i was very happy with that i was like yeah make them make them stew in this and keep them healthy it's like a win-win same <laughs>
0: I mean, it, it's almost like no lead is too big for the Celtics to lose, but also no lead is too big for them to overcome. The way these games have been going, and so it's like even twenty something points, I'm kind of like, let's see how the next couple minutes go. Uh, but I love, so I felt like there was a chance we could have come back in that game, and I'm glad Ime put them on the bench. Chances were low. I, I, the way you put it, let them stew. I like it. Um, Josh, Al Horford gets matched up against Clay Thompson. Golden State did this repeatedly. They put Clay on him. Horford yep. like, didn't take a shot in the first half or something like that in, in game two. Backed Clay down once, got double teamed by Draymond. Everybody ended up on the floor, no basket. Curry, three the other way. If, if uh, Clay's on Horford, what do you expect to happen? And, and how should the Celtics shift uh, to combat that?
1: I mean, I don't think Horford's an amazing post player. I think if Clay Thompson's on him, you could go to him in the post. But I don't think that that's the thing you want to do over and over again. I think it's more like where Horford is, and depending on how Clay is playing him, he should make decisions based on his own skill set. So um, I don't think you have to overfocus on that kind of a matchup. But I do think it's really difficult for Horford guarding Clay defensively. That's something I noticed um, in game two. Is that you know there's, it's really difficult for Horford if he if his if he's being screened by the big and Horford's in a double big lineup, that switch or that drop or whatever that defensive uh, rotation is for, for that ball screen or that off ball screen to get Clay Thompson open, it's not, it's not working well. Um, Because, you know, it's just not, not a strength for Horford to be able to guard a shooter like that on the wing. Luckily, Clay hasn't been hitting his shot, so it's not that important, but that's something that did stick out to me is like, that's, that's a, a problem right there for the Celtics, in my opinion, more than it is for the Warriors if if you get Clay defending Horford on the other hand.
0: Part of the reason that I like your the idea that you guys agree with that starting white makes some sense instead of Rob Williams is that it gives us shooters all over the court and driving lanes. So if Golden State does decide to do something like that, put Clay on Horford, I'm happy with Horford in the post, but I would get him the ball make them double team, Horford can pass it out, and if you're not doing that, then Horford should be dominating the offensive glass on that guy. Um, yeah, for and, sure. And otherwise you're swinging the ball around, you're driving and kicking and and you're living and dying with your three.
2: Yeah, I don't I mean, I don't see I think I don't see Horford being the fulcrum of that offense out of the post. Um, yeah. he's not a good post player. He never has been a good post player even in his like prime. Days he was running like little pick and pops from 15 feet or 20 feet instead of the three point line. Um, but you you have him upsetting screens and run just pretty simple uh, pick and pop basketball with him like we we did with when we had Isaiah when we had it and he spaces the floor at the top of the key. We have like you said Adam huge driving lanes and then shooters all over the court that you can that can also put the ball on the floor. Um, That puts a lot of pressure on the defense and we can get them in rotation. We can get them in foul trouble. um, And we just need to make the simple play and, and not go for the flashy pass, um, which sometimes we're good at and sometimes less, less so.
0: (laughs) And I think it mitigates Kevon Looney too, because I like the idea of making him guard Horford out out to the three and switch on, uh, as you mentioned. What other adjustments would you guys make for game three or going forward?
1: I think there needs to be an attitude adjustment. Um, I think when you punk them in game one and then they come back and do what they and Draymond did to the Celtics in game two and Ime gets attack and the refs and this and that, like there's meetings afterwards that, you know, where I promise you someone was like, look, if Draymond Green does that again to me, instead of not reacting like I did this game, I'm going to, you know, fill in the blank. Right. And I think that it's like even the coaches in on that and getting a little too fired up and whether he did, did that intentionally or not to try to get his team to, you know, to deflect the, the attention to him instead of on his team. Um, I think that, that you need to reassert yourself as the toughest team, as the East coast team who went through the toughest playoff road to get to the finals and who, you know, personally, I believe is the toughest team. Like that's, that's an attitude adjustment. That has to be a tone that you set from the jump in game three at home. Um, And that's honestly what I'm looking at for the Celtics to do. Josh,
2: I got a, I got a related question for you. That's, that I think is right up your alley. If we had to, if we had to call on on uh, the deep bench for an enforcer, who would you pick between Luke Cornett, Sam Hauser, and Nick Stauskas?
0: Oh, you Stauskas. don't choose any of those nice guys. <laughs> no, no, no.
2: Those are the guys you're picking between for this question.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, uh, easily Stauskas.
2: <laughs> yeah it's I think easy. that it's an easy choice <laughs> did you guys Cornette? did you guys see yeah.
0: Vivek Renadive was in the game or was at the game
2: I, I saw someone tweeted that and <laughs> tweeted like Vivek was uh, watching Stauskas in the finals just like he always dreamed or something like that exactly. <laughs> dream come true it was a great tweet
1: I mean I was wondering if Grant Williams was going to lose control of himself a little bit and get both himself and Green ejected from the game and whether that would be Uh, like a way to one up the guy who's trying to time you like, like Dre, that's what Draymond was doing. He was big time in the Celtics psychologically. And so how would you get one up on him is, you know, he's more important to his team than you are to yours. And so you get both of you ejected.
2: Yeah. No, I actually think that's uh, unfortunately the ideal role for Grant Williams in the series. (laughs) I I thought
0: he was trying to do that in some sense too.
2: uh, No, he see, that's the thing. I don't feel like he was nearly as chirpy as he has been in the past. I feel like that was a muted version of Grant Williams. Right. Even a muted and version he's... of Grant Williams is still chirpy. But like compared to what we've seen, like the one that you guys say annoys you and um yeah. you know, is like he wasn't that loud. He wasn't that like animated with the refs the way we've seen him right. in, in past series. And I think I I agree, Josh, like he should he should be the guy that's saying if you're gonna muck it up, as Jalen Brown put it, Draymond I'm going to I'm going to get right in your face and like play off your your kind of chaotic emotions and, and try to get you out of the game.
0: You think he thinks of himself as too important, Grant? <laughs> I, 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 point,
2: I, he, he might, but I'm sure Ime has uh, consistently informed him of just how important he actually is.
1: <laughs> All right. I got a question for both of you guys. Um. I grew up a Celtics fan believing that defense wins championships. And then I went into coaching at the college level, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I learned that that actually wasn't true in the modern NBA or at the college level, whether it was D1 or Juco, the team with the more talent was going to win. And offense in the modern game too often beats defense when it comes down to a good defense versus a good offense. Uh, and I'm, I'm really curious about that as a storyline for this series and the finals in this day and age when you have the, the shooting prowess that the Warriors have against the number one defense and grittiness of the Boston Celtics. What do you think? Does defense win championships still?
2: Yeah, I mean, aren't these the number one and number two defenses in the NBA this year? I don't think that's an accident like you you also need elite offensive talent and elite offensive playmaking um but at the end of the day these are two exceptional defensive teams and and that 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 defense is a huge part of why they are in this finals
0: the stats that i was sharing with you guys before we got into the playoffs about which teams make the finals actually skewed the other way mike it was like if you're one of the top offensive teams, you'll make the finals in the last 10 years at least. And the fact that the Celtics and Warriors are one and two this year is a bit surprising. I think you need both an elite offense and defense. You have to be at least middle of the pack on defense or better to to win a championship it is what the data shows. I, I want it to be the case, Josh. I want defense to win championships because I think that's more interesting basketball. I think, I mean, personally, I find all this three-point shooting and and no post play at all uh and and limited mid-range game to be a little less aesthetically pleasing
2: uh, no you just feel victimized because that was your game the 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 low post and the (laughs) mid-range
0: no i I, seriously like it's just like jack and threes i don't get it (laughs) I, i don't it's not as interesting to me like side like individual play, sidestep threes, like that that's what the game is moving towards. It's less I feel like you have less of a flow on offense.
1: Yeah, even even when you just look at an offense, the team with more talent often wins or the team that plays better together offensively with more movement often wins, and that, you know, movement can on offense and, and shooting on offense can easily beat the number one defense, it seems like. You know, you look at the teams that have won the championship since the Celtics won in 2008, and, you know, it's mostly like Lakers, you know, LeBron's Heat, LeBron's Cavs, and the Golden State Warriors. And then, you know, sprinkled in and out, you've got some Toronto Raptors or some Spurs, you know, like would you say the Dallas Mavericks and their one win, whereas it like a stout defensive team? They were good, but it was their offense that really – you know, beat the, the Miami Heat and their togetherness on that end of the the game, and so I, I really think that it's been proven that offense beats defense and offense wins championships. Uh, if you can also defend defend a little bit, and I think that this series is kind of proving to be a little bit of an outlier in and of itself in the modern game, which I think is cool. And you know, we'll see how it plays out whether defense can win this championship.
2: Well, I'll tell you, we'll need our defense to win this championship. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure.
1: See, I wonder if we'll need our offense. To
2: we'll also need that. We'll That's need what both. I think. Yeah, we'll need
1: both. <laughs> I think more so our offense. Good, perhaps. Well, game three is
0: Wednesday night in Boston, 9 p.m., followed two days later, the only two-day gap between games, Friday night, game game four in Boston. We'll be watching. We'll be talking about it. Please listen, rate, review, subscribe, follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko. I'm not on Twitter. If you're listening now, consider yourself a part of Celtics Pride on Celtics Blog.